Amen. Well, I invite you to take your copy of Scripture and turn to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. And this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 as we continue our series, uh, as we're looking at Paul's first missionary journey. And uh, we have concluded looking at chapter 13. So Paul's uh, missionary journey, his first missionary journey, tr- covers Acts chapter 13 and 14. And uh, we've worked our way through chapter 13. And this morning we'll begin in chapter 14. I'm going to read for us uh, verses 1 through 7. And you'll find our passage on page 923 if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide for you. So Acts chapter 14 beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of His grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we desire to be a church that glorifies you by making disciples who proclaim the gospel. And we want to be disciples who proclaim the gospel faithfully, ministering the word and sharing the word with others as you have called us to do. And we thank you that you show us an example of how to do that over and over again in the book of Acts. And so, Father, help us, Lord, to learn from this example And we pray that we would be faithful witnesses to Christ and to the gospel. It's through Jesus Christ our Lord we ask it. Amen. Well, life is full of patterns. And these patterns help us to know what to expect in life and how to navigate life successfully. So, for example, there are obvious patterns in the natural world. So there are, for example, four seasons of the year. There's spring and summer and fall and winter. And there's day and there's night, so the sun rises and then the sun sets. And our bodies follow any number of patterns. For example, we all possess a natural sleep and wake cycle that's based on the circadian rhythm of our bodies by which we generally sleep when it's dark and we are awake when it is light. There are certain patterns also in our social interactions. So when we meet someone or we greet someone, we say hello, and maybe we do so with a handshake, or since COVID, we do so with a fist bump. And uh, when we request something, we tend to say please, and if we receive something from someone else, we tend to say thank you. And so there's all these patterns, and we could mention any number of other patterns that we experience in this life. And each of these patterns enable us to know what to expect in life, what to anticipate, and how to navigate life successfully. 
Well, the book of Acts provides us with a number of patterns, really a pattern for the work of proclaiming the gospel. In particular, it's a pattern for the work of a missionary. In our current series, we're following Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And we've traveled with them uh, to the island of Cyprus, and then we've gone with them to the mountainous city of Antioch of Pisidia. And this morning, we will track with them as they minister to the city of Iconium. And by now, as we've been walking with Paul and Barnabas on this first missionary journey, we can begin to discern a certain pattern, a certain rhythm by which they experience and do ministry. Patterns that are repeated in this location here in Iconium and really through the rest of the book of Acts. The the Lord has revealed these patterns to us and He's recorded them for us in the book of Acts so that we might discern these patterns, so that we might know what to expect when we ourselves are ministering for the sake of Christ, so that we ourselves might be faithful and successful as we seek to proclaim Christ in our community and among the nations. And so we'll see in our text this morning that God advances His missionary purposes through the proclamation of His Word, despite the persecution of His people, and by the preservation of His saints. That really is the pattern that we discern here in Iconium, that we've seen in Antioch, that we've seen on the island of Cyprus, that we'll see over and over again in the book of Acts. The pattern is proclamation, persecution, preservation. In fact, in our text this morning, we see that pattern recorded, and then we see it repeated. In a little bit of a different order, but it's repeated. So let's look at this pattern this morning. First of all, let's consider God's Word is proclaimed. God's Word is proclaimed. Look there in verse 1 of chapter 14. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now the city of Iconium is located about 90 miles southeast of Antioch of Pisidia. So previously in chapter 13 they were in Antioch of Pisidia and what we see here in our text is that they traveled about 90 miles southeast to Iconium. And this city actually still exists today. It's the modern city of Konya in southern Turkey. And you notice there As they had done in Cyprus and as they had done in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas went first to the Jewish synagogue. And Luke records that they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, Luke records they spoke in such a way. Now, what is it that they would have spoken? What is it that they would have said? Well, we know by now that they would have proclaimed the Word of God. They would have proclaimed the Word of God in the synagogue at Iconium just as they had done on the island of Cyprus, just as they had done in Antioch of Pisidia. Remember when they attended the synagogues on the island of Cyprus, Luke records, you can look there in chapter 13, verse 5, that they proclaimed the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And then they were summoned by the proconsul Sergius Paulus, because as Luke records in 13.7, they sought to hear, or he sought to hear, the word of God. And upon hearing the word of God, the proconsul 
He responded in chapter 13, verse 12, by being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And then when they went to Antioch and Pisidia, we read in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 13, that on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and they sat down. And after the law and the prophets had been read, the rulers of the synagogue asked them if they had a word of encouragement for the people. And what did Paul do? He stood up in chapter 13 and he preached the word of God. He preached Christ from the Old Testament scriptures. And so we can be assured that here, as they come to the synagogue in Iconium, and Paul and Barnabas have the opportunity to speak, that they did the same. They preached the word, and in particular, they would have preached Christ from the Old Testament scriptures. And notice the response there in verse 1 of chapter 14. What is the response when Paul and Barnabas preached the word in the synagogue of Iconium? Luke records, both Jews and Greeks believed. In other words, they came to faith in Christ. They trusted in the Lord Jesus, and they received His grace and salvation and redemption. So just briefly here, let us notice that, my friends, as Christians, yes, we care about any number of things that are taking place in our society and in the lives of the people around us. We care about people's physical poverty and infirmities. We are concerned about matters of justice and equality. We have interest in cultural morality and righteousness. But all of these concerns flow downstream from our primary calling and concern, which is the faithful ministry of God's Word. A faithful ministry of God's Word is characterized as well by a faithful proclamation of Christ and His gospel from the Scriptures. And we see this over and over and over again in the life and in the example of Paul and Barnabas. Repeatedly what we see is that this is Paul and Barnabas's first priority, their first concern, their first act of ministry whenever they go into any city, and it should be ours as well. And the remarkable thing is that as Christians, if we make this the first priority, the faithful ministry of God's Word and the proclamation of Christ and the Gospel, then those other things we mentioned, like impacting society and helping others in their physical needs and so forth, all of those things will flow and we will make far more of an impact in those areas if we prioritize the ministry of God's Word. Secondly, we see in this sequence of a pattern here, we see secondly that God's people are persecuted. So first, God's Word is proclaimed, but secondly, notice that God's people are persecuted. You see it there in verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Literally, the text reads, when describing the Jews there, it reads, but the disobeying or disobedient Jews stirred up the Gentiles. The ESV here translates it as unbelieving, and that's a good translation in many ways because unbelief is related to disobedience. But the word here actually is disobedient, and it reminds us of Paul's words actually in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, where Paul speaks of the judgment that is to come on the last day. And he speaks of those upon whom this judgment will come. And he says it will come upon those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now that's interesting. 
Paul says that the gospel, the message of the gospel is to be obeyed. And this teaches us something very important about the gospel. The call of the gospel is not merely an invitation. The call of the gospel, rather, is a command. And what is the command of the gospel? The command of the gospel is to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To turn from our sins and to trust in Christ's atoning death on the cross for our sins and His resurrection from the dead for our eternal life. This is the command of the gospel and it is to be obeyed. For those who heard the gospel here in Iconium, for those who disobeyed the call of the gospel and rejected Christ and did not trust in His atoning work and salvation, we see here that they stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds. Actually, that phrase there, they poisoned their minds, is more literally translated, they did evil to the souls of the Gentiles against the brothers. Or they afflicted their souls with evil against the brothers. And who are the brothers? Well, of course this would be Paul and Barnabas, but at this time it not only includes Paul and Barnabas, but it also includes those back in verse 1, those, that great number of both Jews and Greeks who believed. So we have a great number of Jews and Greeks who believed. We have Paul and Barnabas. This constitutes the brothers. And those who are rejecting the gospel, who are disobedient to the gospel, not believing in the sacrifice and atoning work of Jesus Christ, they are stirring up the community against the brothers. One thing to note here as well is that this division in Iconium was not merely along ethnic lines. We see here in Iconium that both Jews and Gentiles believed the gospel, but it also, we also see that both Jews and Gentiles uh, participated in their opposition against the gospel and against the brothers. You know, one of the things that's interesting here is we see these folks being led to oppose the gospel in the city of Iconium. One of the things we see here is that those who oppose the gospel oftentimes do not do so because of their own personal investigation of the Scriptures themselves or their personal experience with the Bible or with Christ, but rather they are easily persuaded and they blindly accept the criticism and critique of others as true. Perhaps these criticisms, these critiques are coming from folks that they perceive to be influential or relevant or popular. And these folks then have their minds poisoned. There's affliction, evil done to their souls against the brothers, against Christ, against the gospel. If you're not a Christian yet and you're here this morning, I I wonder, has that happened to you? you, Is your opposition to the claims of the Bible, is your resistance to trust Jesus and follow Him as Lord, is it based on your own personal encounter with the Bible, your own personal experience with Christ, or have you been unwittingly influenced by those who are unbelieving and disobedient? Has your heart unwittingly been poisoned against what is good and right and true? That's what's happening here in the city of Iconium. So we see, first of all, that the Word of God is proclaimed, but then secondly, we see God's people are persecuted. And here's the third sequence in our pattern. God's people uh, are preserved. God's people are preserved. 
Look there in verse 3. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, I think this is perhaps the most striking verse in our passage. So we have seven verses here. This is right kind of in the middle, and I think it's the most striking verse perhaps in the text. Notice the the, the logic here of verses 2 and 3. So in verse 2 we read, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Then in verse 3 we read, So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. Now isn't that interesting? I mean, after reading verse 2, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, we might expect to read in verse 3, So, or therefore... They got out of town as quickly as possible, right? But that's not what we read. Instead, we read, so or therefore, they remain for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. Now, how did Paul and Barnabas get from the Jews and Gentiles are united in their opposition against us, chapter 14, verse 2, so this is a good indication that we should stay, we should settle in, and we should be bold in our witness. In fact, some scholars are so perplexed by the transition from verse 2 to verse 3, and it's so perplexing to them that they believe that the placement of this verse is actually a later addition and not original to the text. So they say they have no justification for making this uh, claim, but they would say the text makes more sense if you read verse 2 right into verse 4, verse 3 is just not there. So see, if you read verse 2 and it says, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, skip verse 3, then we read, and the people of the city were divided, they say, oh, well, that makes sense. See? But how does it make sense that they stir up opposition against Paul and Barnabas so they decide to remain and speak the gospel boldly? Well, this is a a good opportunity for us to learn something here, right? We don't need to question the authenticity of this verse. Actually, this is a helpful lesson for us in our Bible reading. There are difficult texts. There are difficult passages in the Bible, but one of the things we will learn if we read the Bible over time is that if we allow ourselves to be sympathetic to the original authors of the text, and we reflect more deeply on these passages that are maybe hard to put together or understand, oftentimes we will find that the most surprising and the most perplexing texts in the Bible are the most illuminating, the most insightful, the most helpful, the most rewarding. And what do we see here? What do we learn about ministry here from Paul and Barnabas? We learn that persecution is not always a reason to move on and leave, but rather sometimes it's an indication that we should stay and go deeper and be farther resolved to stay. Here in Iconium, you see that a great number of both Jews and Gentiles believed in verse 1. And notice, these are new Christians, right? These are young believers. So in verse 2, when opposition arises against them, 
Paul and Barnabas, understanding that these are young Christians, persecuted believers who are new in their faith, Paul and Barnabas are not eager to leave, but they are all the more determined to stay so that they might invest, so that they might disciple, so that they might teach, so that they might support, so that they might encourage. And what happened as a result? As they remained, you see there, they spoke boldly for the Lord. And as they spoke boldly for the Lord, Luke records that the Lord bore witness. He confirmed, he authenticated their ministry. Notice there it says, they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who, that is the Lord, bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now Luke doesn't tell us specifically what these signs and wonders were, but based on our Based on the larger testimony of Scripture, we can imagine that these signs and wonders might have included things such as the casting out of demons or the healing of the sick. And what was the purpose of these signs and wonders? Notice that the purpose of these signs and wonders was not to be the main show, right? It was not to be a replacement or a substitute for the primacy of the ministry of God's Word. In fact, very clearly we see that the purpose of these signs of wonder and wonders was to bear witness to the Word of His grace. In other words, the signs and wonders were to serve the ministry of the Word, not to be a substitute for it. You see the way that Luke records the text there. Who bore witness to the Word of His grace. How did He bear witness? How did the Lord bear witness to the Word of His grace? By granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So the signs and wonders served the ministry of the Word. And in this way, God preserved and He kept Paul and Barnabas. And He confirmed their ministry and the proclamation of the gospel even in the face of opposition. And listen, my friends, God can do the same for us. It will not always be through signs and wonders. Often, most of the time, in fact, it will not be. But God is able to preserve and keep us. He is able to affirm and validate our faithful gospel ministry when we determine to stay, to remain, to be faithful to Christ, even when things are difficult or hard. So we see this pattern, proclamation, persecution, preservation. Now notice that this pattern in the rest of the text is actually repeated in the remaining verses. Slightly different order, but the pattern is repeated. Fourth, notice God's people are persecuted. They are persecuted. Look there in verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Jews and Gentiles with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. So the opposition begins in verse 2. But we learn in verse 3 that they remained for a long time in spite of the opposition. So it must have taken a while for the opposition to kind of settle in and to intensify. But by the time now that we come to verse 4... The city is increasingly polarized. In fact, the word that Luke chooses to use here in chapter 14, verse 4, is schizo, from which we get the word schism. 
It means to split, to divide, to tear apart. So the people of the city were split, schizo. They were divided. It reminds us of Jesus' words in Luke chapter 12, verse 51 to 53. Jesus says, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And here in Iconium we see a fulfillment of Jesus' words. In Iconium we see here a sharp division among the people over the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We see a principle at play here that we observe even today. That the longer and clearer the gospel is proclaimed in a place or among a people or in a church or in a family, the longer it is proclaimed, the more clear it becomes over time, the more evident it will become who is with Jesus and who is not. We should recognize that faithful, consistent gospel ministry often results in time over results in increased opposition and hostility. So we should not be surprised that our family members or our neighbors or our government, who may at one time have shown an interest in the gospel or tolerated the ministry of the word that in time they may become increasingly hostile. And we should not be surprised that as they become increasingly adversarial, they may want us or our church or the larger Christian community to quiet down or to be silenced. That's what happened here in the city of Iconium. The more Paul and Barnabas continued to minister, the more they were faithful to proclaim the gospel, over time, more and more it became apparent who was with Christ and who was not, and persecution increased. But notice fifth, God's people are preserved. So here we see preservation again. God's people are preserved. Look there in verse 5 and 6. When an attempt was made by both Jews and Gentiles with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, verse 6, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. So the persecution here intensifies to the point now that the Gentiles and the Jews actually conspire together and make an attempt to mistreat them and to stone them. And as an act of God's providential care, Paul and Barnabas learn of this plan, and they are able to flee to the cities of Lystra and Derbe. In other words, once again, God protects them. God preserves Paul and Barnabas even as they face opposition, even as they face persecution as a result of their faithfulness to the gospel. And as we've seen before, Paul and Barnabas, as they face this opposition and they face a closed door to gospel ministry, they can no longer minister now in the city of Iconium. They see one closed door, but then with faith and courage and boldness, as they see that closed door, they notice it just leads to another open door for gospel ministry. And they move on to the other cities of Lystra and Derby, which we will be looking at in the weeks to come, and they continue to minister the gospel there. 
So here's the sequence. We saw God's word proclaimed. We see God's people persecuted. We see God's people preserved. Then it repeats itself. God's people are persecuted. God's people are preserved. And here's the last step in the sequence. God's word is proclaimed. Look there in verse 7. And there, that is in the cities of Lystra and Derbe, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now, as Luke ends on this note in terms of their ministry to Iconium, I want to just make, as we conclude this section here, just make three quick observations regarding Paul and Barnabas' ministry of the Word in Iconium. Notice again, and this is the first observation, notice again the primacy of the Word of God in Paul and Barnabas' ministry. I mean, Luke just keeps hammering it over and over and over again. He wants us to take note of this. So notice that in this section, Luke begins with the ministry of the Word, and he ends with the ministry of the Word. In verse 1, now at Iconium they entered into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. There it is. And now we come down to verse 7. And there, as they move on from Iconium, they continued to preach the gospel. So once again we see the primacy of the ministry of the Word. But then Luke tells us something else in Iconium about the ministry of the Word. Notice second, the second observation, is this is the Word of of grace, the word of grace. Did you notice that in verse 3? Look back at verse 3. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace. So the word that Paul and Barnabas minister, the word that they preach is the word of the Lord's grace. Now one thing that should indicate to us is that the ministry of the Word should not just be some kind of dry, academic, heady exercise, but rather the ministry of the Word should be, in many ways, like a glass of fresh, cold water to a dry and thirsty and weary soul. Because it is, in fact, the good news that God loves us and He has come to redeem us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Through the atoning death of His Son, Jesus, He intends to lavish His grace and mercy upon us. And therefore, the ministry of the Word of God, at its core, is a ministry of the Word of His grace. And that's one of the reasons why as we proclaim the Word of God, at the center of that proclamation should always be the good news of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. The third observation regarding the ministry of the Word in Iconium is the Word and salvation. The Word and salvation. Did you notice the transition between verse 3 and 4? Look there at the transition in verse 3. We read, So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Verse 4, but the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Now, you remember before, some scholars are perplexed by the transition between verse 2 and 3, right? So they came together in opposition against them in verse 2. Verse 3, but they decided to remain and to be bold. And they say, that that doesn't go together, right? We should be just as surprised by this transition. 
And verse 3, the word of God's grace is being proclaimed. And it's being confirmed by signs and wonders. Verse 4, but the people of the city were divided. There's still people, even though the word is being proclaimed by the apostles, the Lord's bearing witness to that word through signs and wonders, there are still people who are disbelieving. There are still people who are becoming more and more stubborn in their resistance to the gospel. Even today, there are some that are convinced that, you know, the the Bible, the Word, that's good and everything. But if I were to witness a miracle, or if I were to be the recipient of a healing, then that would surely seal the deal. Then I would really believe the gospel. Then I would really follow Jesus. But that's not what happens here, is it? That's not what happens in Iconium. I mean, think about the circumstances here. Not only is the word of God's grace being proclaimed, it's being proclaimed by an apostle. It's being proclaimed by Paul. And it's being confirmed by signs and wonders. And yet, there are those in the city who become more and more recalcitrant in their unbelief. And why? I believe it goes back to Luke's comment in chapter 13, verse 48. How did Luke describe the conversion of the Gentiles in Antioch of Pisidia? Look there in chapter 13, verse 48, and we read, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. You see, my friends, the ministry of the Word, as we've seen over and over again, is absolutely essential. But we must remember that it is finally God who causes the ministry of the Word to be effectual. That is, to land in people's hearts in such a way that their eyes are opened and their lives are transformed and they trust and believe in the Lord Jesus. And that's why we are utterly dependent upon God and His Spirit as we minister His Word. Luke actually goes on to make a similar comment in Acts chapter 16, verse 14. Paul is ministering in the city of Philippi. And there we read, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. See, that's what we need. We need the Lord to open hearts. Luke makes a similar comment in Luke, or Acts chapter 18, verse 10. When Paul faces opposition in the city of Corinth, Luke records, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. You see, Luke, as he's recording Paul and Barnabas going to these various cities on the missionary journeys, he doesn't always explicitly mention God's sovereign work to make His Word effectual in the lives of those who hear. But he notes it and he references it consistently enough that it is apparent that this is the assumption underlying all of Paul's missionary journeys. The assumption is that behind the scenes of all this work of ministry, behind the scenes of all this proclamation of the Word and discipling, behind the scenes is the mysterious, life-giving work of God by His Spirit, by which He changes lives and by which He saves souls. And so, my friends, we preach the Word 
and we share the Word, and we minister the Word, and we disciple the Word to others, but we do so in reliance upon God and His Spirit. For it is, as we are reminded again in our text this morning, it's not finally our wonderful presentation of the Word or even signs and wonders that save people. But it is the sovereign, mysterious, life-giving work of God by which He grants new life and awakens souls and opens hearts and gifts people faith. If you're not a Christian this morning, I pray that that would happen even this morning in your own heart. That even this morning as you hear the Word of God proclaimed and the good news of God's grace and mercy in Jesus Christ, that you would obey the command of the Gospel. That you would turn from your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus and He will save you. Let's pray. So, Father, as we began this morning, we prayed that you would make us faithful witnesses to this gospel. And, Lord, help us to see how the book of Acts is such a help in that regard, how you've given us this book to teach us and to show us what we are to expect when we minister the gospel in your name and how we are to do so. And, Father, I pray that you would help us to be faithful to proclaim this word. And I pray that you would deliver us from the fear of man and that we might be willing to receive whatever opposition or persecution comes as a result. Help us, Lord, to not have false expectations, but to expect, even as Paul tells us, that all who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Lord, in the face of that persecution, we pray, Lord, that we would not, dwind- we would not wither away, we would not cower and fear. Lord, we pray that by your grace you would preserve us, that you would keep us, and that we would be faithful to continue to minister, that we would be faithful to continue to share. And we pray that by the mysterious work of your Spirit, that others would come to know Jesus, that they would grow in him, and that you would continue to build and strengthen your church. So, Father, take this word now and apply it to our lives and make us faithful witnesses for your great name's sake. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask it. Amen.